0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: In order that we may also be glorified with him. You see this reference, this understanding. You're going to suffer if you follow Christ. And you're going to be glorified with him as the, he's the first fruit of many brethren and we are those who follow and the people that we introduce to Christ follow us. And look at verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. I can see the promised land Though there's pain
0: within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my
1: life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move
0: Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues his study in Romans 8, entitled, New Life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: And for the Christ follower who is suffering, who is suffering hardship or heartbreak or their life is just upended by whatever case, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, we see here cause for hope, cause for sanity, cause for stability, because we know that God causes all things to work together for good for the believer. Where is the believer there? Those who love God and those who love God are those who God called according to his purpose. So you have this dual description here. God causes all things to work together for good for the believer. And that is very good news indeed. It means that nothing that is happening to you is by accident. Even the bad things that are happening to you work together for good. In kind of a James chapter 1 way. Remember James chapter 1? Count it all joy whenever you encounter various and sundry trials Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfecting work, its completing work, leaving you adequate and complete, equipped, lacking in nothing. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Even the bad things. How do we know that? We know that also because there is a parallel passage to Romans 8 28 in the book of Genesis, Genesis 50, verse 20. Look with me at Genesis 50, verse 20. What does it say? Let me set this up for you. You know the story of Joseph. Most of you do. You know, his brothers were jealous of him because his father showed him partiality, and probably Joseph, as a young man, wasn't handling it very maturely either. And so his brothers threw him into a well and then sold him into slavery. He was carried off by slave traders into Egypt. There he was sold to Potiphar, a government official serving under Pharaoh, and he worked hard for Potiphar and and was starting to make some headway. And then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and when he refused her she accused him of trying to rape her and they threw him into prison but anyway as it all works out in the end Joseph ends up going from the prison to the palace he becomes the prime minister of Egypt after Pharaoh the most powerful man in all of Egypt and this famine hits and people are starving and it drives his old family who he has been cut off from for 20-something years they come to Egypt to buy grain And he and they are reunited. And I'm not going to walk you through the whole story. But the brothers who sold him into slavery were afraid he was going to kill them, seeking retribution, which brings us to Genesis 50, verse 20. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God. Now watch what he says here. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Even the things, the evil things that people try to do to you, God uses for good. Persecution in the workplace, marginalization in the classroom, in the academy, wherever you are, God uses these things. To what end? How do we know there's a purpose? Look at verse 29 in Romans 8. Is there a purpose? We see the purpose for all of our suffering, for everything that happens to us in this life, good, bad, or indifferent. Verse 28. Uh, 29, "For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What's going on here? God uses suffering and hardship to equip us, to prepare us for greater and greater works of service. We should not panic when difficulty comes our way because there are at least two purposes for everything that happens to us. The first is to conform us to the image of Christ to make us more like Jesus and less like ourselves. We call that spiritual growth or we call that sanctification. And so all these things work together for good. The second purpose is to use us to bring glory to Christ, that he might be the firstborn of many Brothers, what does that mean? Well, Christ died, he rose again. He was the first of the resurrection, you might say. And through him, because of him, we point people to him. And that he represents the first fruit of people being redeemed. That's what's going on there. So we do what we do and what happens to us for the glory of God, for the good of others, and of course for our own spiritual growth to equip us for greater works of service. And you sort of see this, If you think back and if you've been with us for the study, in the wider context of what we've been reading, you know, we started in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God to all who are in Rome, who are beloved by God called to be saints, those whom God loves, those whom God called according to His purposes. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. What's happening to you isn't because you're condemned. You're, you've been placed into the family. You are in Christ. You are in the kingdom. You are in the family. You call Him Abba, Father. And then in verses 16 through 18, we see this. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are in the kingdom. Children, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see this reference, this understanding, you're going to suffer if you follow Christ and you're going to be glorified with him as the, he's the first fruit of many brethren and we are those who follow and the people that we introduce to Christ follow us. And look at verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And then you come to verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that for the purpose of he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so we suffer. You know, a teacher is not above his, a student is not above his teacher, a slave his master we serve a suffering Savior, we're going to suffer. Christian means little Christ. We deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow Him, and we suffer, but not senselessly and not purposelessly because God is at work. You know, sometimes we don't even know what's happening to us because we're at the tip of the iceberg and there's this whole big 4,300 square mile something going on around us in redemptive history that we're a part of. So we're being conformed to the image of His Son. And like Joseph, maybe one day... We can look back over our shoulder at the hand of God's providence and sovereignty and make sense of it. Or maybe like Job, we never do. But you know, Job, if you read the book of Job, you know that his suffering was for our benefit because we learned a lot about suffering and the mysteries of God in our suffering. There are some things we'll just never understand. So understand the relationship between God's sovereignty and your suffering. He causes all things, not some things, to work together for good. There is a purpose and a reason. There is no randomness in God's economy. There is purpose there. So, so what do you do with this? We're going to do sort of a pay-as-you-go application today. So what do you do with that? What do you do with the realization that all things work together for good, that you're being conformed to the image of His Son, that you're bringing glory to God even in the midst of your suffering? Well, first, number one, when stuff happens, when suffering comes, no matter how crazy things seem, no matter how random this world seems to be, Find comfort in the fact that God is in control. That God is always there. That all things work together for good. And that he has a purpose. First, he's conforming you to the image of his son. And second, he's bringing glory to his son. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Never lose sight of that. There is more going on than meets the eye. Your suffering is the tip of the iceberg. Secondly, don't ever... Don't ever in the midst of someone else's suffering, carelessly say, well, all things work together for good, so bad things are happening to you. You know, you lost that arm, you lost that leg, you lost that job, you lost that spouse, you lost that child. Hey, don't worry about it. All things work together for good. That's kind of like Job's friends, only they got it wrong. All things really do work together for good. There's no doubt about it, but there's a time and a place for everything under heaven. And you want to honor God as you seek to minister to others. You may find peace as you're helping them, as you're stepping into their crisis and saying, well, how do I do this? Well, you know, be careful what you say. And and, and at the right time, at the right place, by all means, remind them that God is in control, even if they can't see it, even if they can't sense it, even if they can't feel it in the moment. Third, if you're sinning, avoid falling into the trap of presuming on God. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I, uh, I stole that car, but I got saved, so all things work together for good. Yeah, but don't mistake God's grace for his approval. Don't do it. Don't presume on God. And finally, four, look for God in the midst of your suffering. Seek his face. You know, the psalmist said, when you said, seek my face, Lord, I did. your face did I seek. Look for his working in the situation, knowing Knowing that he's always there, knowing that he always cares, knowing that you're not lost in the crowd. He didn't misplace you. Well, now where is Keith and his family right now? Cling to what is true. So understand the connection between God's sovereignty and your suffering. And number two, number two, see the relationship between God's sovereignty and your security. See the relationship between God's sovereignty and your security. Remember, we just read, and we know, we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for believers, not for unbelievers, but for those who love God and to those who have been called according to his purpose. And you have the reason for that in verse 29. You you see the security that we have here. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then watch verse 30 play out. Watch this chain of events. Watch this. Some people call it a golden chain. Watch this chemical reaction. Well, watch this. And, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's your security. If you're born again, if you're a Christ follower, heaven is your home. And don't miss the fact that all that seems to be in the past tense there, doesn't it? It doesn't say he will be glorified. It means he's as good as glorified. If he foreknew you, then he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. And if he predestined you, then he called you to himself. And if he called you to himself, then you will be saved. You will will be declared righteous. You will be justified, and you will be glorified. Here's where God's sovereignty is not only essential to your sanity, but it's essential to your security in the midst of a trial. We know that all things work together for good and that you are safe in the arms of God. This is the relationship between his sovereignty and your security. And if he isn't sovereign then you are not secure. You are not safe, and your suffering could be for nothing. But he is sovereign. He causes all things to work together for good, and those he foreknew, he glorified. Those he foreknew, heaven is their home. You know, we've been reading about how the whole universe, the whole earth, the whole world, groans under the weight of the corruption that it was subjected to in hope, waiting for the redemption, the, revel- the revealing of the sons of God, the redemption of our bodies, Right? And in that milieu, we're suffering along too. But if he foreknew you, you're secure in heaven. That's why we always say we are saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. We're born again spiritually when we embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior. But in the ultimate salvation, we will be glorified with new bodies. And those things are certain if you've been foreknown by God, if God foreknew you. Because then he will predestine you to be conformed to the image of the Son, he will call you to him. He will justify you. He will glorify you. Now, I know what somebody's thinking out there. Wait a minute, but God foreknows everybody. That's not what this word means. This word has nothing to do. This foreknew is an action by God. In some translations, it says foreordained. It has nothing to do with omniscience. I mean, God knows everybody, right? It's not what this is talking about. This is the -the under-the-iceberg view of salvation, it's looking at it, at it from God's perspective, not your experience. And that's where our security is. Jesus puts it this way in John ten twenty eight to 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Because God is sovereign and we've been glorified. He has set his heart on us in eternity past. He has befriended us. He has foreknown us, and no one has the power to rip you out of God's hand. We'll talk a little bit more about this in Romans eight thirty one to eight thirty nine. But this word "foreknew" speaks to God setting his heart on you in advance. And once He's done that, you're secure. You can't lose your salvation. Jesus says this in John six sixty three through sixty five. And when he said this, he lost most of his followers. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And it was, and who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father granted him, unless it has been granted to him by the Father. And this is why you're secure. This is why God's sovereignty secures your salvation. This is why you are safe in the arms of God, because God has given you to Jesus, and nothing and no one can rip you out of his hand. No situation, no circumstance, no hardship, nothing on, in heaven or on earth can, can strip you of your salvation. We see this in John's Gospel in the words of Jesus. We see this in the words of Paul in Romans eight twenty eight through thirty nine. We'll see it in Romans chapter nine when he says it's not man who who runs but God who wills. We see it in Luke's epistles. We even uh, in Luke's and Peter's epistles, and we even see it in the writings of Luke. What does Luke say in Acts thirteen forty eight talking about Gentiles coming to Christ? What does Luke record? And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You're secure because God has saved you. You haven't saved yourself. You haven't merited your salvation. You haven't purchased your salvation. You haven't earned your salvation. God doesn't look down the corridors of time and choose the righteous people who will choose him. And God has determined it before the foundation of the world, as it says in the book of Revelation. And so we are secure. Let's look at Romans 8, 28 and uh, Eight thirty-eight 38, and 39 together. And we know, and we are certain, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His sovereignty is your security. No one can rip you out of his hand. No one can take away his love. No one can separate you from God. No matter how bad the circumstances are, no matter how bad the situation is, God is there, God is with you, God is working all things out for good in your suffering, and you are secure in his arms. So what do you do with that? What do you do with your security? How, how does your security, how does his sovereignty and your security stabilize you in the midst of a crisis how does it buoy you how does it keep you upright well here's a couple of things to consider number one and I can't emphasize this enough you have to cling to what is true there are so many Christians who are emotion-based feelings-based they want this sensation they want this special feeling but you know what feelings wear out they get worn out people wear out but the facts remind us of what is true, and we are secure in Him. And nothing can separate you from Him. You can't separate yourself from Him. Salvation wasn't yours to give, it's not yours to forfeit. Two, when Satan whispers in your ear, you call yourself a Christian? I don't know. I think this time you have cut yourself off from God. Remember that He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Cling to what is true. And we know that God causes all things, even our stupidity, even my sin, to work together for good. I don't sin more that grace will abound more, but I understand that God causes all things to work together for good. Even what people meant is evil against you, just like Joseph's brothers. But God God uses it for good. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe that God could never love someone like you. Don't believe that you're hopeless. Don't believe that you've been abandoned. Don't believe the lies of Satan. Three have hope when things look hopeless because you're never out of God's reach. God is at work in the affairs of men and women. He's, in, he's at work in the affairs of humanity. He's at work in the affairs of the universe. He hasn't wound things up and walked away. He hasn't lost you in the crowd like sometimes, you know, heaven forbid, you might lose your kids at the grocery store for a moment. It doesn't happen with God. He's with you wherever you go. He'll never abandon or forsake you. He never sleeps or slumbers. He never takes his eyes off of his people. And you are always in his sight, in his grip, and on his heart. So let's review. I think we're going to stop here and finish it out in two weeks' time. Concept number one, when we're thinking of the sovereignty of God and your suffering and your life and everything, understand the relationship between God's sovereignty and your suffering. Concept number two. Understand the relationship between God's sovereignty and your security. Keep these things in the forefront of your minds, because whatever is happening to you, God will use for good. I remember, as I think of the tip of the iceberg, as I think of how big God's redemptive plan is, how this unfolding drama of redemption, and each one of us is given a little piece of redemptive real estate to glorify Him, to trust Him, and to take care of in His great and glorious kingdom. The things that happen to us, we can never anticipate the outcomes, but God does. God knows. He's not, he's not a probability kind of guy, right? You know, this is where we talk about the difference between prophecy and prediction. Prophecy isn't predictive at all, right? It's declarative. God has declared the end from the beginning, what he's going to do, all right? And in his sovereignty, he's determined what's going to happen. And I remember as I listened to that, the questions that followed with that lady that day from the church outside who came to talk to me about how we deal with suffering because she had problems that she was facing. I remembered something that my daughter said after the accident and she came out of the coma and she had some time to think and she got her most of her cognitive abilities back and maybe some of you read it on her blog post she said I wouldn't change a thing. I don't want my old life back because I'm closer to God, closer to my family and I wouldn't change a thing. Because all things work together for good, even when you don't feel like it. That's the fact. You are secure in the arms and the hands of God. His sovereignty is your sanity during suffering. His sovereignty is your, is your security. And all things really do work together for good to conform you and me, us to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you, Lord, that for this love letter from another world, the Word of God, where you have written down everything we need to know about faith and practice. You've given us principles to live by, concepts to understand, truths to cling to in hope and trust in the dark of the night. When we cry out to you, Abba, Father, when your spirit confirms with our spirit that we are children, and have children heirs, heirs with Christ, children of God. Father, we, we do thank you that you're in charge. and. Involved and in control of every aspect of our lives, from our salvation to the day when we go home and enter the kingdom in our glorified bodies. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby.